0: Well, good morning again. It is good to see each and every one of you. Sounds like a plane is in here. I think it's feedback. It'll go off in a second. If you'll take your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, and we'll be in chapter 2 this morning. We started a teaching series two weeks ago called Freedom. Basically, freedom means to live free. I'm sorry, set free to live free. And let me kind of give you the context of what's happening because we're doing a study on Galatians and it's really going to divide it into three parts. We're doing part one now, it's going to last for a few weeks, part two, and then part three later on. But this morning we get to part three of part one. Y'all feel me on that? So keep up. All right? I know some of you are Alabama fans. So here- The church of Galatians. Turkey, present, present, and some crazy things were happening in that area during that day and age. People were buying into different types of pagan cultures, their entire lives, sitting around this one concept, and that was this is love me. Now, the idea of worshiping a statue or some form of deity or something like that is very foreign to us in some ways, but the point is. Just like them, you and I struggle with this whole idea of I've got to do more in order for God to love me. Y'all been there, right? If I mess up or if I feel like I am less than or specifically as we struggle through this morning is if I feel like I have some form of shame in my life, God doesn't love me. Y'all been there, right? And what Paul is communicating to this church that he started, and it was a church that was healthy at one point, but allowed some false teachings to drift inside of its body, and they were drifting away from the purity of the the gospel. And so what Paul is telling them is this. Christ has set you free, meaning all that stuff that you feel like you got to work for, all of this bondage that you live in in order to get God to love you more, is solved through Jesus and the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he took the punishment that you deserve. You don't have to get God to punish you anymore because he poured out his entire wrath upon Jesus. But the other thing is that Christ rose from the dead, meaning he conquered death for you. And you're set free from any of the ramifications, from any of the consequences, from a spiritual perspective that you deal with. Church, you got to get this. You have been set free, but don't leave the gospel there. God has also set you free so that you and I can live free. Meaning, in our lives, as we struggle with our faith, as we struggle with people, as we struggle with stress, as we struggle with everything that we read on the 24-hour news ticker, whatever it may be, you got to get this, is that Christ set you free from your sin and is going to deliver you to heaven one day, to the throne of the Father, and that is going to be an awesome day. I look forward to that. But more importantly, at this point, right now, for the here and now, he sets you free so that you can live free in that day in and day out. But so many of us, including your pastor, find themselves caught up in what this world has for us, and we don't feel very free at all. Y'all with me? I mean, it's day in and day out. And it might be a simple struggle with fighting traffic or balancing your budget or maybe a rambunctious kid. Or it could be something as severe as I don't feel like my life is worth living Right? We all deal with this. But the point is, this entire book is that Christ has set you free and don't allow things to pull you back from living in that freedom. And so what Paul is doing throughout the first two chapters of this book is basically setting up a couple of things. One, the message that he is giving is God's message. Paul has an amazing testimony. We looked at it last week in Acts chapter 8 chapter 9. And about how he was persecuting the church and in fact times having people in the church get killed because he hated the church so much. But God took him and changed a fanatic into a faithful person. He does that for us too, right? Because so many times our fanaticism is driven by what we like, what we don't like, or what makes us feel good. Correct? It's also driven by what we grew up believing that may or may not be true, may not be accurate. For Paul, he grew up being a zealous Pharisee, and if anything threatened the Jewish congregation, anything threatened the Jewish temple and the Jewish way of life, he killed it. But God changed his life forever. And so what he's communicating to the church in Galatia is the message that I'm bringing to you is not just a message I heard from people. It is what God spoke to me. And he proves that through a different scenarios and different events in his life, but specifically about how God took him from being fanatical to being a faithful person. Now, and what, we're, what, what, what he begins to explain, and we started this last week, we've been set free to live free. That was sermon one. Sermon two was some of the attacks that we have to our freedom. And the attack he dealt with last week is that we are deceived and therefore we doubt. Because what's happening in this church is that these guys who believe something contrary to the gospel and they add things that don't belong in the gospel and it causes them to doubt their faith. Now we move to the next attack. The frontal assault was the doubt. Next week we're going to deal with zones and hypocrisy, which are also attacks. This morning, we're dealing with something very, very personal, and it's the spies and lies that sneak into our lives and cause us to really abandon, forget, forsake, or have shame in our own lives personally. Y'all been there, right? It's these things or these attacks on our psyche saying, you're not good enough. It's these thoughts that says you need to add more to your faith that's very much unbiblical, and therefore you're going to get right with God. It's all these things that keep us from really pursuing the heart of God because we've had things or people sneak into our own minds and we bought into them and the lies are destroying us. Do you guys ever get caught up in the lies? Everybody say yes. (laughs) All the time. So how do we deal with them? How do we begin to combat the lies that you and I face on a day in, day out? And your pastor deals with this too. And the world, the, the way we deal with it is one word, vigilance. Now, we're going to dissect that and give you some principles on how to struggle through that in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in a moment. But you got to get this. In order to deal with the spies and lies that sneak into your life and cause you to doubt your faith, forget your faith, and feel incredible shame so you don't progress in your faith, You have to be vigilant to get rid of it. I heard an article, I read an article this past week about a guy in Kentucky. He has become my new hero. He was outside, and his daughter was out at the pool, and all of a sudden, one of these drones fly over. You know, some of you own this stuff, right? It's like the toys that we buy when we're adults because we couldn't afford them when they were kids, and they're really cool. And so this guy in his neighborhood had a drone, he's flying it around the neighborhood, and he's got one of the GoPro cameras on it. And the guy keeps flying it over where his daughter's swimming. And so every day, you know, every, but a couple hours, the drone would come in and swoop down and hover, it'd go away, and it'd come back, swoop down and hover. And the guy starts getting really ticked off about this. And this is why he becomes my hero, because he values his daughter and he values his privacy. He goes inside and gets his shotgun and blows it to pieces. I love this man because I would want to do the same thing. Y'all with me on that? Now, I found out that's against the law if you get caught. And so the thing is, he blew it to pieces. That is exactly how you deal with spies and lies, guys. That is exactly how you deal with the things that infiltrate your spirituality that aren't of God You blow it away. But how do you do that? Let's get in Scripture and find out. Galatians chapter 2. Now, a lot of this is biographical information, so we're going to have to dig deep here and understand the thrust of this message. But notice what's happening here. Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Stop here. Get this. I always want you to understand what's happening in Scripture. For 14 years, Paul has spent his life growing in his faith and learning what it means to express the gospel. Formerly, he was a Pharisee, he was bought into different types of, of, of legalisms, and so after he experienced Christ, instead of running to the Jerusalem church, and the Jerusalem church was where all the leaders of Christianity resided, you feel me on this? There was James. He was the first elder in the Jerusalem church, the first elder in Christianity. And he was Jesus' half-brother. There was the apostle Simon Peter. You've heard of him, correct? There was Matthew. There was John. There was Thaddeus. There was all of these guys who knew Jesus, and they were situated in the heart of Jerusalem, and they were really leading the efforts to plant churches and be on mission and for people to grow in their faith. But Paul makes it very clear to the church of Galatia. He didn't go to these leaders immediately because God had spoken to him, therefore making him an apostle. Now, we, under, we learned this last week. Apostles are only people that are listed in the New Testament. If you find somebody that has an apostle in front of their name, there's two things going on. Either they don't understand what an apostle is, or they're lying. You get me on that? An apostle is a person who experienced God personally in the flesh and received God's message through Christ and had the authority to convey that message. Paul was one of these dudes. And he wants the Church of Galatia to communicate to, he wants to communicate to the Church of Galatia is I didn't get this from anybody. I got this from God. And to prove your, my point even further, for 14 years I didn't meet with the leadership of the church. You with me on this so far? Now let's go backward. That's more than you want to know, but I always want you to understand biblical accuracy. Let's get to it. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Now, Titus was a former Greek. He's a Gentile. He did not grow up Jewish. And so when Paul brings Titus to Jerusalem, it's got to be intimidating for Titus. Agreed? All these guys grew up Jewish. They knew Jewish customs. They were going to the center of Judaism. Barnabas is with him. He grew up Jewish. And he wants to demonstrate to the elders and to the leadership of the church there in Jerusalem that this man who is not Jewish, who was Gentile, Christ changed him. You with me so far? That's going to be very important in just a few moments. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Now here's why. He goes to Jerusalem to tell them what he's been preaching. Here's why. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Meaning, he wanted to make sure. He wanted to gather other Christians together and say, look, God gave me this. I feel like there may be a spy or a lie in my mind saying this. What you're saying is not accurate. It doesn't line up with what James and what Peter and what Matthew and what John and what other biblical writers and biblical leaders are communicating. Make sense? And so he comes to them and says this, am I telling the truth? Is what what I'm communicating to all of these people, does what Titus believes who has come to know Christ actually the gospel? Or do I need to add something to it? Now, he's writing this intentionally to the church of Galatia because other people had come into this church and said, this gospel's good, but you need to add this. Now, notice what happens. This is, this is really, these next two verses are the key verses in this entire text. This matter, verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was Greek. Now, that's important. To be marked by God and be a part of God's covenant family as a Jew, you had to be circumcised. And so sometimes people converted to Judaism when they were adults, and therefore they had to be circumcised. But they came to Titus and said, Look, we're not in a Jewish culture or a Jewish religion. We're following Jesus. The circumcision that you experience is in your heart. Make sense? Now get what happens next. This matter arose because some false brothers, and here's where the spies and lies creep in, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. You get this. You've been set free. But there are things in this world that are going to lie to you and spy out that freedom to drag you back into a fleshly component that is contrary to the gospel. Whether it be adding laws and legalisms that are not of God, whether it be following temptations and sins that you had in your former life, but they're there, right? Right? Now get what happens next. To spy out on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us what? Slaves. When you buy into a lie because you've been spied on, it makes you a slave. Let's just be real. And the premise of the gospel is for you to be set free and to live in that freedom. You can be a Christian and while on earth, never taste the consistency of that freedom day in and day out for two reasons. One, you're adding things that shouldn't be there. Or two, you're so engrossed in your own personal sin that you never experience it personally. I am living proof of that. And so are many of you in this room, right? So here's the question. How do we become vigilant and what are the principles that we follow to deal with these spies and lies? I'm going to talk really fast this morning, not tell a lot of stories. I'm going to talk really fast and give you seven of them. We're going to have these online through our podcast later on this week, but write them down. You have a place on the back of your worship folder. You can take notes. These are things that are really going to help you because if you're like me, I deal with lies in my life. Do y'all? And those lies cause a lot of shame. And because it causes a lot of shame, it hinders and hurts my spiritual growth and dependence on Jesus. Y'all with me on this? So let's deal with it. So there's the first thing you need to get here. When you're struggling through these spies and lies, you need to understand something, and this is so important. You are not immune, and no one else is either. No one is immune to spiritual attack. No one. This is huge because you got to understand something. The fact that no one is immune to, and that's our first principle, no one is immune to spiritual attack it's something that Paul, that Simon Peter, that all these other dudes began to understand and began to realize. Now I want you to go to verse, uh, let's let's go to verse, let's see, verse five. Because this is an important verse here in this text. Notice what it says first. We stop there. You gotta understand who we is. Like I said before, it's the apostle Paul. He wrote Romans through Philemon in your New Testament. It's Simon Peter. It's 1 and Second Peter he wrote in your New Testament. It's Matthew. He wrote the book of what? Say it again. Good, you're awake. Now, here, all these things, all these guys, John who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John, these guys were personally being attacked, spiritually speaking. These are the spiritual giants of our faith. It's Jesus and these dudes. You get it? Why wouldn't you and I be why wouldn't you, Bob, you and I be attacked if these guys are being attacked as well, right? So many times we get in this, this whole rut that, woe is me, I'm being attacked spiritually, why did God put this on me? But when you go back and look at Scripture, these guys are dealing with it too. Now, we're going to dig deep into this in several weeks in Galatians chapter 5, but you got to understand something. No one is immune, principle number one, no one is immune to spiritual attack. That's important for us to gather up. But here's a second thought on this. Go back to verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Now here's the reason. I went in response to a revelation, meaning God called him, and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running in vain and had not been running my race in vain. Now here's the deal. Here's the second principle. When you feel like there's a spy and a lie in your midst, you confront it. That's so important. So many times we can't get over the humps spiritually because we don't deal directly with the thing that's pulling us down, right? It's there, and shame may cause us not to deal with it. Uh, A lie about the lie may cause us not to deal with it. Uh, Lack of transparency with other believers lack of biblical intake, whatever it may be. But here's the deal. When there is a spy and a lie in your midst, you directly confront it. You get that? Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that again. Specifically, notice what he does. And we'll sum it up. He goes to the disciples, the apostles, and the elders in Jerusalem, the guys who were the gatekeepers of Christianity at the time, because he wanted to make sure that the gospel that he was preaching was the true gospel. He wanted to make sure, he wanted to make sure that these spies and lies, that may be plaguing his brain, plaguing other churches, and the thing that he was preaching to the Gentiles was absolutely the truth. He confronted the lie directly. Here's the question. Do you and I confront lies directly? Here's the answer. Sometimes. Truth has a way, Jesus said this, of setting you what? But truth has also a way of bringing things to light. And when you place truth in the context of a lie that's not of God, not only does that confront it directly, but it moves it out of your life. And so my encouragement to you as you struggle with this this morning is that some of us in this room, including me, who struggle with lies, we need to confront it and say, that's a lie, Right? That's not of God. These things that I'm struggling with aren't what Jesus called me to do. This thing I'm believing right now isn't of Christ. See, Jesus died for that so that I wouldn't have to deal with it, so I could be set free to live free, but I'm allowing this to come back into my life and tear me to pieces. And many times it's not just a temptation or a thought, it's an actual person. And so as you deal with people in your life who are spies and lies or discouragers, here's what Ephesians chapter 12 says how to deal with it. With gentleness and kindness, you deal with love. You confront people in love. So many times when people really cause us to fall short or cause us to sin or, call, or who are lies, liars in our lives, what we want to do is just give them the backhand of Jesus. Correct? <laughs> right? Y'all with me on this, right? Just in the name of Jesus, I'm just going to throat punch you. You know, whatever it may be. But don't do that, okay? <laughs> For two reasons. You may be smaller and they beat you up. But the other reason is that's not of God, right? Right? Deal with it with love. But the only way you're gonna deal with a lie, the only way you're gonna deal with a spy is to confront it directly. Second principle is this not only confront it directly, not only are you not, I'm sorry, this is our third principle, not only are you not spiritually immune to this, the third one is never give a lie a place to hide. Never give a lie a place to hide. So many times in our own lives, We have hiding places where these lies sit, where these temptations rest. And they sit there and they infect. If you take a grapefruit you cut it in half, you have two sections, right? And inside of each grapefruit, there are little sections. It's like little triangles all around the grapefruit. Y'all been there, right? If one gets rotten, that rottenness starts to spread to the other parts. Agreed? Unless you cut it out. Never give a lie a place to hide. When Paul comes to the church of Galatia. In Galatians chapter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and when he comes to the church of Jerusalem, he makes very clear, this is what we're doing. We're going to confront this, and we're going to lay our cards out on the table and say, this is what's truth, this is what's a lie. Y'all with me on this? I meet with a group of pastors once a month, they're my band of brothers. We pray for each other, we encourage each other. Even this morning at 6.30, walking down my driveway, I call one of my buddies up, I said, hey, you need to pray for me. I got to encourage him. A bit, I, he was at Waffle House. I was walking down my driveway. I had the better view at that moment. But it was a time where we could just really encourage each other, and we were able to lay our cards out on the table and say, this is truth, this is not. Several weeks ago, in our, in our pastor's groups, diverse. We have Hispanic pastors. We have African-American pastors. We have white pastors. And basically, we sit around and encourage each other, pray for each other. But in the midst of all the drama that's happening in our culture today as African-American pastors and white pastors were able to sit there and lay the cards out. We begin to share, hey, this is what we struggle with. This is what we struggle with. This is what we think. This is what we think. And you know what happens when you lay your cards on the table and begin to deal with it from a Christian perspective? Healing. That's a beautiful thing. When you're dealing with a lie and you give it a place to hide, it begins to metastasize into your life and tear you to pieces, right? Right? Don't give your lies a place to hide. If it's there, cut it out. 90% of the people, according to a recent survey, in churches today who attend regularly say they want to honor Jesus with everything in their life. I love that, don't you? 19% make it a point to be in Scripture on a weekly basis. If this is what reveals lies and reveals hiding places, and we're serious about them not infecting us, then we have to be more diligent about getting into this. Because the truth sets us what? Free. I want to give you an opportunity. And this is an advertisement, but also a moment of encouragement. If you don't know how to study Scripture, or you're intimidated about studying Scripture, if you've been baptized recently, you need to be a part of our Next Steps classes. You need to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. You need to learn how to make study habits about growing spiritually and how to pray and what God's intention and purpose is behind that. You can sign up on your Connect card by writing next steps in the prayer request section. But make sure, make sure you're getting in the word. Fourth thing is this, no matter how convincing that lie is, do not yield to it. No matter how convincing that lie is, do not yield to it. Let's skip down a little ways. Go to chapter two, verse three. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Now, this is important because in the next verse we find out why. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks. Now, that's the spy. To spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. So they're trying to convince this early church, you need to go back to your Jewish roots. You need to go back to this law and legalism. You need to make sure that Titus is circumcised. And, but notice what the early church does in verse 6, verse 5. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's the deal. Here is the deal. For Titus, this was profound because Titus Titus was evidence, evidence that Jesus was about saving those who were not just Jewish but all people. But Titus is also evidence that Jesus is not about putting conditions on our salvation or legalism. He's about setting us free. And when that reality struck struck the hearts of those apostles and those church leaders, the thing that happened was this, is that they did not yield. They did not submit to these lies. Here's the deal. Fight against it. Do not give it up. Do not yield. You confront it. You don't give it a place to hide. You expose truth to it. It's so important that you don't quit fighting it. You are strengthened by the Lord to carry on this fight. He refreshes you. He empowers you. And I love what Ephesians chapter 5 says. It said, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Here's the deal. He is empowering you to do this, but don't give up. You have been set free. in it's perfect sense that in this context, meaning the world that we live in, everything pulls against us. Agreed? Everything. Calling you to go back to the way you were. Calling you to buying into this lie that isn't biblical truth, calling you to add something to your gospel salvation. But understand me on this, do not yield to that. Not even for a moment. Because Christ's purpose in your life is to glorify his Father by saving your soul and setting you free and the fact that you live in that reality day in and day out. Fight it. Next principle is this. Running short on time, so listen fast. Fill in footholds fill in footholds. Let's go back to verse 5. Notice for a second, we're hitting these over and over again, but verse 5 says this, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's preserving this truth for the church of Galatia, so that when they're attacked by these lies, which they are currently dealing with, he can come back and says, look, several years ago, the leaders of the church dealt with this as well. And as We struggled through this and had temptations in our life and really met some resistance among people who infiltrated our church. Understand me on this is that we had to learn to fill in the footholds of weaknesses in our life because the enemy attacks you not in your strong moments or in your strong places or in your strong habits, but in your weak places. Agreed? And we've all got them. We've all got a past. We've all got a present too, right? We all got these chinks in our armor. And so it's important that we learn to fill in the holes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, we'll throw this up on the screen real quick. Paul makes this statement, and I love this. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning, you know, give him a soft place to get a grip, to climb into your life and expose your life to lies that lead you in a place you don't want to be. We, uh, I've told you about uh, my plague of dogs in my life. And what I mean by that is, we have had some very bad experiences with dogs. I know some of you love dogs like you love people, but I'm going to be real with you, I've had a dog in my past whom I nicknamed Satan. And and so, that's how I feel about it. But now we have this incredible little puppy. And uh, and, I, and I actually like this one, okay? It stays outside and it doesn't bother me, so that's a win. And so, um, this little puppy is a, is a little beagle, and they call her a pocket beagle because she didn't grow to full size, so she's about this big, probably about 8 pounds, and my daughter named her s'mores you feel real manly when you're standing out in the yard going come here s'mores and it's just oh, I have an eight pound dog named s'mores I am I am the yeah whatever and so um uh, I love the dog, it's a pretty good little dog it's, it's sweet, it's, 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 it's all the things that we need as a family, he's got one problem he likes to dig, and you know what I'm talking about, y'all ever had dogs that just dig everywhere, and so I've been I, I'm kind of OCD about my yard I want the grass to grow, and I've been really working hard to make grass, and there's a little bear patch I'll try to fill it with something and try to get the grass to grow and all this stuff, but there's a place next to my driveway to where the dog just goes and just digs and digs and digs, and no matter how many times I fill it up, it digs it back up you know what, I, y'all, y'all have, do you have puppy problems like I got people you know what I mean this is ridiculous and so I thought I'm gonna solve this problem I saved up some money I went and bought some sod to put next there because I couldn't get grass to grow and that was really bothering me and because I'm thinking this little eight pound runt will not dig through sod oh that's a lie <laughs> boy I laid the sod out there the other day the dog next morning I get up this little thing grabbed the edge of the sod pulled it back y'all digs a hole. And this dog doesn't dig holes like, you know, that big. No, it digs caverns. You know what I mean? It's one of those holes you step in and break your leg. And so, I've, I mean, it's that deep. I'm not even exaggerating. So I'm just mad. I fill it back up. I put the sod back on top of it. I, this morning I got up. And I'm on my way to church. And I'm like, that stupid dog did it again. Ah! And so here's the deal. The reason it's doing it is because the first time I didn't fill up the hole like I should have. And when that dog finds a foothold, it's going to dig, right? when your enemy finds a foothold in your life, it's going to dig. And it's going to tear you to pieces. You've got to fill up the holes. You've got to fill up the holes. And what Paul is communicating throughout the heart of this message is if you're going to deal with these lies, you have to meet it head on and deal with it and fill up the holes so they don't continue to tear you to pieces. Some of us in this room have been plagued with the same lie for 30 years, Right? and one of the reasons it continues to tear you to pieces is because you've never confronted it, it continues to hide, and you don't fill up the footholds. Fill up the footholds. Fill up the footholds. Principle number six, we'll get out of here in just a second. These last two deal with the church as a whole, okay? The first four deal, deal with, or first five, excuse me, deal with you personally and what you can do. These last two, it takes the body of Christ to accomplish, but I want you to see what happens next, starting in verse six. As for those who were held as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Now this is an important statement, because what Paul is saying is when I presented to them the gospel, they said, "That is exactly what we preach. They added nothing to it. There's a purity in the unification of that early church to where they came together and said, "This is Jesus." Isn't that cool? Now, notice what happens. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For uh, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Here's the point here, is that what's happening in this early church is there's a unity and there's a value on the body of believers. And one way you deal with lies is that you value your participation and your, lack of better word, membership through the blood of Christ into the body of Christ. You and I need each other. Do you value the body of Christ? What is happening in our culture today, I didn't say this in the first service because of time, but I can keep you here to 2 o'clock. Here's the deal. What's happening in our culture today is we can get our panties in a wad at one church and find a better show at the next one. We have, statistically, guys, 70% of born-again Christians attend church twice a month. In our culture, In the Atlanta area, where some of the largest churches reside, the level of lost population is higher than it's ever been. Success is driven by environments, by experience, and by attendance. And if you don't like this one as a church, we can hop to the next one, right? Twice a month, maybe. Why do I tell you that? Because we've lost the importance, as Christians, of the body of Christ. The fact that we need to value what Jesus has done uniquely in each person's life and come together and say, we need each other. That's why you need to be in a life group beyond just Sunday morning pew sitting. You need to be with other believers that you can be transparent with, that you can be authentic with, that you can say, I need prayer here. This is a lie I'm struggling with. We need each other. And what's so profound is you have the heavy weight pastors, elders, apostles, ever in the history of Christianity sitting in a room together, extending the right hand of fellowship and said there is purpose and unity here. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we need. Value the church, but that go bleeds into our third, our seventh and final point here this morning. Not only value the church, is it through the church and through our own individual, through our own individual uh, momentum and personal involvement is that we need to learn to be Christ to others as well. We need to learn to be Christ to to others as well, notice that last verse verse 10, all they ask is that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I had been eager to do all along meaning the more we serve the more protected we are from the lies the more evident these lies will be, you get it the more we do something with our faith, it's just like a muscle guys the more you work out your arms, the stronger your arms will be, right? The more you exercise your faith, the stronger your faith's going to be. Do something. Be Christ to others. And so how do we bring this all together? I know that's a lot of information. Like I said, we're going to have this online. So how do, we, how do we deal with this? Because the battle is real for us, agreed? The lies are real, and the lies begin to drag us down. How do we struggle through this? Whether it's apathy, or whether it's temptation, or whether it's shame, how do we struggle through this? Because I guarantee you, if you're a Christian, the lies—not probably—they're gonna come. But guess what? They're probably already here, right? How do we deal with this? So I've come up with this stupid illustration. So bear with me for a moment. This is the best I can do. I went to Monroe High School, so. What we have to understand about the gospel and what we have to understand about our own lives as we grow spiritually is that we will be attacked, but the best resistance to that attack is saturation. We've had, we're not having it currently, but there have been times in our region to where we've had so much water that the ground becomes so saturated the water has nowhere to go, right? What we have to become as Christians is so saturated in our faith that when the attacks come, it has nowhere to go. Make sense? We want to be so consumed with Jesus that there is no place for the devil to find a foothold. There's no place for the lies to sink in because we've revealed truth in every aspect. There's no hiding places. We've confronted it. So what we're going to pretend for just a moment is this is a Christian, okay? They're square and blue or rectangular and blue, all right? this is a christian. and so as believers, this is God's plan for you to live free. is that he wants you to be saturated with the purity of Christ. He wants you to be so overwhelmed with the gospel, so saturated with his truth, so saturated with what it means to be free, so saturated with his people, so saturated with his mission, so saturated in dealing with the dark places in your life, so saturated in be completely healed through the gospel. Make sense? That is his purpose. And so many times, there is nothing in that bowl except you. Right? There is nothing there. We find ourselves dry, forsaking, forgetting, and formulating different thoughts and ideas in order to add to our faith. Because I promise you, this is what happens. As believers, just because you live in this world, we're going to deal with this, like I said, in Galatians chapter 5 in a few weeks. But because you live in this world, here's the deal. Our tax is going to come. And most of the time they sneak in. And Sometimes, like last week, they're frontal assaults, right? Next week we're going to deal with the hypocrisy and comfort zones that we deal with. But as you saturate yourself with Jesus in this world, understand this. There is far less attacks. You notice the color of the water? When we're saturated with Jesus. If there's nothing in there but the red stuff that we poured into that bowl, It's just going to fill you up with the sin and with the lie and with the temptation and with anything else that destroys you. But when you're saturated with Christ, there is far few of those that get in. Make sense? So here's our last question. Are you saturating yourself with the gospel? Are you saturating yourself with Jesus? What lie have you bought into? This is how we're going to finish our service this morning. The team is going to come up here and sing. There are two action steps I want you to take. The very first one is this. Some of you can't saturate yourself with the gospel because you don't know the gospel. You've never asked Christ to come into your life. And how we respond here at River Hills Church is on the back of the Connect card. Don't move around yet because i got a big action step for the rest of you in just a second, okay? On the back of your Connect card, there are a couple of boxes. And the first one says, for the first time, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life. Or maybe i got questions about what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe I need to be baptized. If that's you this morning... It's time you take your first step in understanding what it means to be set free. You need to be set free. You're not going to make it to heaven. Let's just be blunt, okay? According to Scripture, set yourself free. Allow Christ to set you free by coming to Jesus. And that's you. Check one of those boxes. Make sure your name and numbers on the front. And as you walk through those doors, drop it in the offering basket. But here's the second challenge I'm going to lay out here. Many of us in this room who know Jesus have bought into lies, and it is killing us, right? It's killing us tearing families apart it's tearing us apart personally here's the deal I want you to be set free from that I'll give you two options on the back of your connect card there's a box that says I want a phone call from the pastor if that's you and you need to talk further check that box I'll call you and we'll connect you with someone who can help you but here's the one that you can do immediately we never do this here at our church but one of our elders is going to be standing to my left I'm going to be standing here to my right And if you need prayer this morning, if you need to be set free, I'm just going to invite you to come meet with one of us and pray. Does that sound good? Just to pray through this say, God, I need some help. God, I need some prayer. God, I need you to move in my life to change me and set me free from this. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to come forward and let's just pray through this and work through this. If you don't know Jesus, check those boxes or you can come forward. We can walk through that then as well. But live free, guys. And don't let the spies and lies continue to infect you. Let's pray. Father, you're bigger than we deserve. You're better than we deserve. And by your grace, we've been set free. And I pray that in every way that you would change us. I pray that in every way that you would overwhelm us. And I pray, God, that you would work in our midst to give us an understanding of what it means to be set free from the things that infect us. Guide us. Direct us, change us, move in us, and give us the strength that we need to follow you. And for those of us that need to be set free for some lies, I pray today would begin the process of setting us free. For those that don't know you, pray that we would take that step to know you. But God, move in us. In Jesus' most powerful name we pray. Amen.